It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Ben Strang and Hamish Bidwell are our guests this morning on the panel. Um, and I'll start uh, with you, uh, Hamish Bidwell, on this uh, beautiful Hawks Bay day. Um, Razor Robertson and uh, the rugby union are at it again. Did you uh, take note of what happened yesterday? What did you make of it if you did? Uh, you left to fill me in, Ian. Right, okay, so uh, basically uh, Razor Robertson said there will be an announcement, he's pretty clear what's going on, there will be an announcement um, in the uh, next few days from New Zealand Rugby on the uh, the future of the all-black coaching role, etc, and they've come out and said no there won't be, <laughs> basically. Well there should be, because what we did last time was sit on our hands and hope that people would flock to us, well at least that was the narrative that was, was spun, I can't remember how many candidates then chairman Brendan he rolled out he thought he had but 26 I think was a number but really it was succession and when you wait till the end then all you've got left is the leftovers and the leftovers was then Foster and that's who we've had now we've kicked New Zealand rugby from pillar to post for doing that now can we criticize them now for being proactive and for actually wanting to get a coaching team lined up post 2024 does it undermine Foster in the interim I have no idea but I think the guys had a fair go he's He's part of a regime that traces its origins back to 2004. It's a pretty long run. Um, so, yeah, I would applaud New Zealand Rugby for getting organised. Uh, I would applaud Scott Robertson for putting pressure on them publicly to, to get organised and, and to actually make a statement. What it does for the team or doesn't do for the team, it's not that interesting to me, but I want them to be proactive because they, they sat on their hands too long last time. OK, good point of view. Um, what do you make of it, Ben? Uh, I like that Scott Robertson is happy to to come out and actually talk to people and and give an you know an update on what might be coming in the in the very near future. I think it's it's great that we actually get this from him every now and then. We don't get it from anyone else at New Zealand Rugby, which is extremely frustrating. So the fact that he's even uh, sparked New Zealand Rugby to come out and 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 suggest that this isn't happening, um, it, it gives us some information from New Zealand Rugby. It's it's pretty frustrating being at at the very least a member of the media, but as a New Zealand rugby fan, to to know something's going to happen, but just not know when. So um, it it would be good if there was some clarity around dates and that sort of thing of of when an announcement will be made. And I agree with Hamish that New Zealand rugby should be commended for for actually getting this process underway and making a decision early because they do dilly-dally a bit. Staying with you, Ben, uh, Super Rugby, uh, with uh, the confirmation of uh, Aaron Smith, Bowden, Brody Retallick all heading back uh, or over to Japan in respective cases. Uh, should uh, Super Rugby considering uh, consider opening the door to Japan? Possibly. I think from a financial perspective, maybe would be the biggest thing. I think, uh, you know, Japanese rugby, the, the clubs there would basically have to subsidize their place and, and they can probably afford it um, I, I think the you know the, the quality the the product would possibly take a massive hit I, I think that the physicality and the skill level over there although it's increasing and improving is is not going to help 
with the product, which would be a shame, and if there could be some absolute blowouts. Um, but but that said, I think the bigger issue is this thing with New Zealand players heading overseas and, and the likes of Richie Moanga saying that New Zealand rugby is going to have to open it up and, and pick players who are playing overseas. Uh, I can kind of understand that if, if players are playing in Europe uh, where the, the product is just as good right now as Super Rugby, if not better, and you'll be, um, you know, you'd have some fantastic players coming back to play for New Zealand. I just don't see the same thing if they're going to Japan where, they're, yes, they're earning mega bucks, but the quality of rugby is not necessarily going to be getting them ready for all black rugby. And so that's a concern. And, and I think that's something that New Zealand rugby have to have a good, long, hard think about. Okay. Um, what's your take on. Oh, we've seen that actually, uh, haven't, haven't we? Um, Hamish, when we've seen players like Brody Retallick come back from uh, Japanese rugby, and it's taken them like forever to get back up to speed. Yeah, like you either have professional rugby or you have the nanny state. We're in a halfway house situation where we allow sabbaticals, which is nonsense. We uh, sign guys like Freddie Burns to the Highlanders or Pablo Matera to the Crusaders. So I would have an all-singing, all-dancing professional competition. I would import players from wherever they want to come from. I would let all blacks be picked from wherever. And I use football as the analogy because I think football is a proper professional game and rugby still isn't. You know, the Argentine and French leagues aren't the best in the world, but those teams still perform outstandingly on the world stage, do they not? So you either have a any state, right? And you say it's just a purely for making All Blacks or an All Blacks glorified All Blacks trial. And so our best players have to be here. Well, then in that case, you don't have sabbaticals. There are no Burns and Materas. But we're doing sort of neither one thing nor the other. I would go professional... As, and I think Moanga is right. I think the time's come to pick guys from overseas to trust them to be professionals, to get themselves in the nick, to be proper All Blacks. If they, and it, I just, the competition needs something, and guys disappearing because they've had enough of, you know, the, the, the control that New Zealand rugby exerts over them. Well, then let's open it up. But I don't think we're doing anyone a service at the moment, be they players, certainly not fans. And I think the product could be way better if we actually made it a legitimate professional competition. Okay, uh, fair enough. Uh, Dane Coles is uh, calling it a day at the end of uh, this calendar year. Um, Hamish, what's his legacy, do you think, to uh, rugby in New Zealand? That he was a real bloke. Um, There's an increasing sort of NBA slash NFL swagger among all blacks. There's a desire to lead social change. And Dane Coles is one of those guys in the room who just said, hey, fellas, take your hand off it. Let's get on with the footy. And he'll be a big loss in that regard because he didn't put up with that sort of carry-on. He didn't drive a flash car. He didn't have any ears and graces. In fact, he made a point of driving an old bomb because he didn't want to stand out from the crowd. He didn't regard himself as special. He didn't want to be treated better, different, whatever. He was just a real Kiwi joker. And I think we're moving away from real Kiwi jokers and his departure from the team will be a big loss in that regard. Okay, very interesting. 10.31 here on SCNZ. Uh, We shall take a a Short break in the panel, get some news from Araha, uh, and when we come back, uh, we'll look at uh, a little bit of uh, cricket, a little bit of uh, NBA as well, I think. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Uh, 10.33 here on SENZ, we've got uh, Ben Strang and uh, Hamish Bidwell with us. Uh, Yesterday, big day in the NBA, Ben, for LeBron James in particular. Yeah, amazing to to break what many thought was an unbreakable record. Uh, most points ever in the NBA, beating 
Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, yeah, a- astonishing. Um, a lot of us uh, in my office, NBA fans, we were, we were in a little fantasy uh, basketball league. We are all debating whether he'd do it yesterday or in a couple of days against the Bucks, and uh, I just had a feeling it would definitely happen yesterday, and you could see the intent from the, from the off that, that he was going to break this record. He was going to get the 36 points he needed. Um, he he's just a, a phenomenal player, a phenomenal professional. Um, as a sport, you couldn't ask for a better person to be the top player in your sport. Um, since he's come into the league, you know, there's there's been no real scandals. Uh, he he is still with his high school sweetheart. Um, he's a he's a good family man, and at the same time, he's um, just absolutely lighting it up on the court. It's Pretty, pretty astonishing. And it, but it was uh, quite strange, though, for them to just completely halt the game in the middle of the third quarter when he got the record and have a little ceremony and stuff. Just remarkable what they do in American sport. Do you follow the basketball much, Hamish? And, and if so, uh, LeBron James? I do, but I'm old, Ian, right? So I sort of think if you play for a long time, then you get a lot of points. I sort of... I don't know how many guys have gone past 10,000 test runs. I think it's about a dozen, but I know Bradman in 52 tests scored 6996. I know that, I remember Richard Hadley going past Rock, Rock College for 117 test wickets for New Zealand. I remember growing up in Wellington, the hoopla of Alan Houston maybe going past D.B. Clark's record of 207 test points for the All Blacks. And they were big deals, or at least they were because I was maybe of an age to care about them. But I just think statistics have been made largely irrelevant by how much sport we play now. I think Dan Carter's got 1,500 at All Blacks test points. Is he a better player than Don Clark? Probably. But, like, Don Clark was a colossus of his era, and I just... I think that records don't really mean as much as they did. You're a better place to to, to talk about that because you were a a test cricketer, and and the numbers that you achieved and your teammates achieved really meant something at the time. But they're dwarfed now, you know. Bruce Edgar's not an all-time great. John Wright, how do we regard John Wright now? What, 5,000 test runs, a great player, I would have thought, but in the fullness of time, the statistics won't really tell us much, will they? You know, I just think that, that numbers have become a little bit meaningless, and I think, good on LeBron, but it's sort of in the same boat for me, but meaningless. Okay, fair enough. Uh, on the subject of uh, the cricket, and uh, of course, uh, two test matches of or two series of uh, real interest coming up, particularly one starting today um, in India, with Australia taking on India, um, and Hamish, I think that this promises to be uh, a rip-snorter. Yeah, I'll be glued to it. And um, I don't really get the whinging about the state of the pitch that they're going to play on. Like, that's that's part and parcel. We play on dirty green seamers here, and uh, if you go to the subcontinent, you get what's coming to you. You know, I really admire New Zealand, for instance, the way they tried to play cricket on the dead pitches of, of Pakistan. They don't do it the English way. They did it the New Zealand way, but they still managed to nearly achieve victory. You know, I, I, I just think you've got to take what's coming to you. I think it's going to be fascinating. You know, I think about a guy like Travis Head who comes out in the home summer against mediocre opposition and creams them all over the park. Well, how's he going to go on a Bunsen in India? So I just, I want to see that. I want to see how can Steve Smith hold his form. Kawhi just scored runs in Pakistan last year, but can he do it in India where it's going to turn a bit more and a bit quicker off the deck when it turns? So just can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, ben, uh, has it got interest for you, this, this series, this border Gavaskar? Oh, it always does, and uh, you know they are two teams at the top of their game. It appears so. Um, yeah, no, I, I wholeheartedly agree that 
there's just it's such an exciting challenge when a team that is so good in their home conditions gets to go overseas and try themselves in much you know much different conditions and you know it, it appears that India have been baking the the pitch. There's uh, concerns about some some doctoring and that sort of thing. Some interesting colours on the wicket, uh, which looks like it will certainly turn. Um, I, I think that's kind of part of playing against. India and India is you have to expect that it's going to be a heck of a challenge with just the, the state of the pitches and that sort of thing. But I am also looking forward to seeing what England do here in New Zealand and whether uh, baseball continues because they're, um, it's frightening to think about how good they might be uh, and, and the way that New Zealand have been going of late. Well, uh, continued yesterday, Ben. Um, what They scored 460-something at around about... Uh, six and a half to a six point seven runs per over. So, uh, if anything, uh, if yesterday's anything to go by, look out. Yeah, I was just looking through the highlights actually, and uh, I can see Joe Root reverse sweeping. Uh, well, not reverse sweeping. I don't know what you call the shot. Just a reverse hook of a fast bowler for six, uh, like we saw in in their home summer. Uh, just some of the batting is is outrageous and phenomenal. 17 sixes and 70 overs yesterday. They are here to play their style of cricket. Uh, I, I I do worry, um, especially with the pink ball test. Uh, having played with the pink ball, it's you can see it just like a white ball. It's much easier to see than than the red ball, and so. Yeah, they could pile on runs at uh, at Tauranga, which which the pitch often doesn't do a heck of a lot. Um, the basin reserve uh, often looks green and then then plays beautifully as well for the batsmen. So, yeah, uh, they could be putting up some phenomenal scores. What what do you read in terms of uh, the conditions uh, here, Hamish? Uh, if the preferable conditions in the past, you mentioned the word "dirty," or the phrase "dirty green seamers" before, and you're dead right on that. Uh, but against England, what would be the preference, you would think? Uh, I don't know. I really don't know how New Zealand are going to approach it, A, from a conditions point of view, and B, from just how they're going to play the game. And that's one of the fascinations. I don't think England care what you put them on. You can put them on a flat one, like they were on in Pakistan. They'll find a way. You can put them on a green one. And they played on green ones at home last summer. And they were still pumping out 500 runs a day, or bloody close. You know, I thought having beaten the Black Caps that they might come out and stuck against India but they they won that game from virtually nowhere because they just backed themselves and they prepared to play the ball on its merits regardless of the surface so I don't think any jiggery-pokery in terms of the turf is going to make any difference to the way they play and I, I applaud them for that I admire them for that and it's a fascinating contrast of styles because I don't believe New Zealand will, will go bullet the gate the way the English are Okay, very interesting thoughts there uh, this morning on those subjects uh, from Hamish Bidwell uh, and uh, Ben Strang. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen. Have a terrific day, and uh, we shall be uh, back with uh, another panel uh, tomorrow morning around about 20 past 10.